My name is Gary Manis. This is my fourth time to speak during this summer series on Minor Prophets, Major Messages. And I don't know how they chose who was going to preach which ones, but I had Amos and Obadiah back-to-back, and now I have Haggai and Zechariah back-to-back. And especially with Haggai and Zechariah, I'm thankful that they allowed me to preach these back-to-back because they are really connected. I mentioned to you last Sunday that both the prophet Haggai and the prophet Zechariah were, were prophesying to the same people really at the same time. They were both in Jerusalem speaking the words of the Lord to those who had returned from exile in Babylon that had been there 70 years, recognizing that some had come back to Jerusalem for the very first time. They had been born while in captivity in Babylon. But others had lived through the captivity and had come back to the, to the Jerusalem that they knew, but it was very different than the one they had left. The walls were down. The temple had been destroyed. And they were sent back to Jerusalem with, the, uh, with the, really the approval of the king to rebuild God's temple. The, the, really, the key word for Haggai was temple. And that was what it said on the back of that little card you've been receiving. Today's card, Zechariah, the key is Messiah. And I think those two are integrally linked together because they, as they prepared the temple, they were also preparing for the coming Messiah. In fact, in, in Haggai chapter 2, and we didn't get a chance to look at it last Sunday, in Haggai 2, the Lord says to the people through Haggai, what do you think about this current building that you're building? I'm paraphrasing, so to speak. There were some who remembered what the old temple looked like, Solomon's temple, majestic. It was just awesome. When the sun would shine on it, it would just radiate with all the gold and the, and the precious jewels that were a part of it. And he says, what do you think about this one? And if you read over in the book of Ezra, that historical book we mentioned last week, some of them were weeping about it. Yes, they were weeping for joy because it was being rebuilt, but I believe they were also weeping in sorrow because the new temple wasn't nearly as grand or glorious as the old one. And yet in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 9, the Lord says this to the people, the glory of this present building, this one that you're building right now, is going to be greater than the glory of the former temple. Now, what did he mean by that? It wasn't going to match the former temple in its grandeur or beauty, its majesty. But what he was saying there was this, to this building, to this temple, the Messiah is going to come. This was the building that Jesus actually visited during his public and earthly ministry. So it's an amazing thing. And so Haggai is talking about building that temple. Zechariah is talking about the looking forward to the coming of the Messiah who will be a part of that temple. So we're looking at the book of Zechariah today, sometimes referred to as the major minor prophet. Now that may seem a bit confusing, but the reason is he's the longest, the, the longest of the books of the minor prophets. 14 chapters. It's really quite lengthy for a minor prophet. And this morning we're going to look at one section of scripture in Zechariah chapter 4, reading verses 1 through 9. Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Reads like this. Then the angel who talked with me returned and wakened me as a man is wakened from his sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top 
and seven lights on it with seven channels to the lights. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to, here's that name, Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. One verse I want to look at this morning as we look at this whole concept of the minor prophets, and it's verse 6 where it says this. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. The big idea for today is this. God's plan requires God's power. The plan was for Zerubbabel and the people that went back to Jerusalem with him to rebuild the temple. But it wasn't going to be done, as we just read, by human ingenuity, by human wisdom, or by human strength, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It was going to be the power of God through his Holy Spirit that was going to allow them to accomplish the work. And so we recognize that in order to get the building built in the four-year time that they did it in, it took more than just their abilities. It took the power of God. So the big question for today is this. Why do we need God's power? Now, we're not building a temple. We're not building some physical structure. But let me suggest to you this. We are in the midst of having a spiritual temple built. Amen? It's us. We are the temple of the living God. Paul says that. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so God is wanting to work in us. So we're not talking now about why we need God's power to do something physically. We're talking about why we need God's power to do something spiritually. And to look at that most clearly as I think it relates to us, I want us to look at the book of Colossians in the New Testament. One of the epistles that Paul wrote to a church at Colossae. Colossians is all about Christ, all about his preeminence. And it's an amazing portion of scripture that really I believe will help us to answer the question, why do we need God's power? Look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. What amazing verses those are. There are four phrases I would like for us to look at today that I believe help us to answer the question, why do we need God's power? The first one is this, we need God's power because of our message, we proclaim him. 
Now the him that's referred to there is Jesus. Look at verses 15 through 20 in the same chapter of Colossians chapter 1. And notice all the times it uses the pronoun or the name he, his, him as it refers to Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We proclaim him. He is creator, he is sustainer, he is savior, he is sanctifier, he is our coming king. Praise the Lord, amen? We proclaim him. I am thankful that here at Element Church, it's not about lifting up the name of Pastor Jeff. I hope it isn't. Becky and I were sitting here today before the service began, just kind of thinking about this summer. And the fact that our lead pastor has been on sabbatical. And in some ways, it's been very different. But in some ways, that difference has been very good. Why? Because we've had to learn that we can rely on God, not Pastor Jeff. Amen? Now, he's my son, and I love him. And I miss him. And I'm looking forward to when he comes back. But listen, if our church is built on proclaiming Pastor Jeff, we might as well close the doors now and go do something else. Man, that was a good place for an amen. amen. Wow, they missed out on that one. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, listen, folks, that's true. And I know, please don't misunderstand me. I'm thankful that, that you love Pastor Jeff. We love him. We have to. He's our son. But we love him as a pastor. I mean, we love him. But listen, if something were to happen to Pastor Jeff, the church doesn't stop. Why? Because it's not built on him. It's built on Jesus Christ. We proclaim him. There are churches that say, well, we just preach Jesus. And that's what we say too. There are some when they say, well, why don't we just preach Jesus? That they're not talking about a balanced picture of Jesus. They want to present Jesus as all the loving and gentle and, and all goodness things that he was when there's a counterside to that. You, you see, it, this same Jesus that talked about love also said this, unless you repent, you will perish. Jesus said this, you will die in your sins if you do not believe I'm the one that I claim to be. Those are pretty stout words. That's why we need God's power to proclaim the name of Jesus. Do you know that in our culture today, that there are a lot of people when they pray publicly, especially not in a church setting, but in another setting, are really afraid to close their prayer with, in the name of Jesus? You know they're afraid to do that? Why? Because they're afraid they'll offend somebody that's there. But we proclaim him. 
And if we ever get to the place where we're offended by praying in the name of Jesus, we need to get down on our knees and beg the Lord to give us a fresh infilling of his power because we can't accomplish God's plan of proclaiming Jesus without his power. Look over at John chapter 3. The most familiar of all the verses in Scripture is John 3, 16. But we often omit what it says in verses 17 and 18. And I think we need to hear this today. This is why we need power to proclaim him. Look at what it says in John 3, verse 16. Well, I better get to John chapter 3. That would help. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And man, I love that verse. We all love that verse. Why? Because that meant we could come to know Christ. Amen? We could be saved. But look at what it says in 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Another great promise. Now verse 18. Whoever believes in him, and the Greek tense of the word believes there is not a one-time event. It, should, it could read this way. Whoever is believing in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe or is not believing in him stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. We proclaim him. And John 14, 6 says, Jesus says, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now we can understand why we need God's power because simply our words are not going to change anybody's life. But it's when they recognize who Jesus is and by faith put their trust in him, that power that he brought to the cross, that power that he took back to the throne of heaven is the power that's able to save us. We proclaim him. Now I'm, how old am I, Becky? <laughs> I'm 67, 68. I'm 68. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They say the memory's the first thing to go, you know. Uh, I'm 68 years old. And listen, I have watched as our culture has transitioned so drastically in my 68 years. It's been amazing to me how our culture has dramatically shifted in lots of ways, some for the good, some for the not so good. But I'm especially speaking today about how our culture has shifted in its perception of and its response to the name of Christ. When I was growing up, when I was in school, it was just as Prayer was being removed from school, but up until then, uh, you could have prayer in school, in the public school. And then things began to change, and I understand all that. I, I, I get all that. But, be, but, but perception began to change about Christ. And we went from being a Christian nation to a post-Christian nation, and in very real respect, again, this is how I view it, we are rapidly moving to what I would consider to be an anti-Christian nation, an anti-Christ nation. The vast majority, more, way more than 50% now, do, do not have any adherence to the teachings of Christ, nor do they claim to follow him. So we have transitioned greatly, and we're seeing more and more of an opportunity from culture and media and all sorts of places for the name of Christ and the name of Christians to be defamed. And it's not the first time that's happened. 
In fact, turn over to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 9 through 11. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 9, 10, and 11. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking for the Lord to a rebellious nation. Listen to what he says and see if it doesn't sound like something that you might hear in our own culture today. Verse 9. These are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions, and to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. In other words, don't tell us what's right and what's wrong. We'll establish that for ourselves. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. And verse 11 shakes me to, it, to my core. Listen to what it says. Leave this way. Get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Lord, help us. Amen? Lord, help us. And yet there are those within the, the, just a few hundred feet of this building who would in all likelihood say, you can get off that path, you can leave that course, stop confronting me with the name of Jesus. But that shouldn't stop us. We can't necessarily proclaim it audibly to them, but through the power of God in Jesus Christ, we can pray that God will reveal himself to them and he'll open their eyes and that they'll come to recognize that there is life in Christ. We proclaim him. And listen, the day this church ever stops proclaiming Christ is the day that you'll never see Becky and I in these doors again. I'm serious as serious can be. The day that any denomination that I may be part of stops proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ is the day I'll not be a part of that denomination any longer. Why? Because he's our only hope. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no man, nobody comes to the Father except through him. God's people need God's power. Why do we need God's power? Because of our message. Because if we don't have the power of God, it will be difficult for us in our humanity to continue to proclaim him in a world that desperately needs to know him. There's a second thing too. Why do we need God's power? It's because of our method. Because of our method. The second phrase of those two verses in Colossians says this, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Those two words, admonishing and teaching, both have the, the implication of imparting information or imparting truth. They do. But they are very different in the way they, they would be approached. Teaching is often done in a very calm and collected manner. You present the truth. You dialogue. You do those things. Admonishing is with the thought of telling someone with strength, with energy, this is right, this is wrong. There's an admonishment. Have you ever been admonished by someone? I have. I was pastoring a church in Buffalo, Wyoming. Beautiful town, great church, and it was coming up to be time for vacation Bible school. And I will tell you right now, that at that time in my life as a pastor, I didn't want to be around for Bible school. I didn't want to be around. 
Didn't want to be a part of it. We had a good crew. We had good staff. And I mentioned in the first service that day, we had two services just like we do here at Element. I mentioned in the sermon in the first service that Becky and I were going to be leaving to go on vacation and we wouldn't be around for Bible school. I thought, there, I'm out. I don't have to worry about it. All those little runny-nosed kids, you know, I don't have to be around them. Well, I left the, pul the pulpit, went back and greeted the people, and then when I went into the church office, there sat, there stood <laughs> Sister Amy Hunter, Pastor John Hunter's wife. He was our visitation pastor, retired pastor, and there stood a Amy Hunter, and she said this to me. I'll never forget it. She said, you need to be here for Bible school. Now remember, I'm the senior pastor. I'm the lead guy. I'm number one. She said, you need to be here for Bible school. And I was all set to give her all the reasons why I could go away on vacation. And in my spirit and in my mind, the Lord said, she's right. And so as I was getting ready to, I said, Sister Hunter, you're right. We changed our vacation plans. We stayed for Bible school, and I've been a part of vacation Bible schools at churches I've been at ever since. Why? Because she admonished me. It was the truth. It wasn't the truth I wanted to hear. But she was under the power, I believe the power of God, willing to confront her senior pastor and say to me, you need to be here for Bible school. Wow. Isn't that good? We proclaim him. How? Our method is admonishing and teaching. So listen, there are times when, when Jeff or Brendan or Andy or Taylor or anybody else that may be preaching here will sound like they're really upset about something. They may, you may go away thinking, man, they were really angry about that. No, it's not that. It's the admonishing that comes with the truth of God's word. There are some times that, the, that the, it seems the only way to get the truth across is to really come across almost in a way that sounds hard and harsh. That's not our intent at all. We simply want you to hear it, to see it, and to walk in it. But we also teach. So there's admonishing and teaching. Do you know that every one of you here this morning that are Christians, you are a teacher? Everywhere you go, you're a teacher. You're teaching people what it means to be a Christian. Sometimes you may admonish them, not necessarily by your words, but your actions will admonish them. Sometimes it'll be your words that will admonish them as you speak about things and you're teaching them. We used to sing a song when I was growing up in Sunday school that said this, Do you know, O Christian, you're a sermon in shoes? Anybody ever heard of that one? Hey, right there. Becky has. Yeah, just five of us. <laughs> Do you know, Christian, you're a sermon in shoes? Jesus counts upon you to spread the gospel news. And then he would go on and add all these different things. So preach it and teach it and say it and pray it and show it and go it and live it and give it. I mean, you could come up with all kinds of rhyming words. But it's true. Under the power of God in our lives, as we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, Everywhere we go, we are a sermon in shoes, and we are teaching. Lord, may we teach the things that ought to be taught. Amen? Listen, I put a, we put an um, Element Church decal on our car. <laughs> in some ways, it's great. In other ways, it's really not good. 
And uh, there have been a couple of times where I've really been frustrated with somebody and just wanted to give them that look, you know, that look. And then I thought, oh, no, wait a minute. <laughs> the element decals on the car, you know. <laughs> and really, that shouldn't be what prevents me, should it? It shouldn't be what prevents me from giving somebody the look. It ought to be the love of Jesus Christ in my life for them that wants to bless them and not curse them. And I don't mean by using profanity, all right? God's people need God's power. Why do we need God's power? Because of our message, we proclaim him. Because of our method, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Look, did we already read Colossians 3, 16 and 17? Did we read? Okay, good. Uh, the third thing is this. We need God's power because of our motive, our motive, why we do what we do, so that we may present everyone perfect. Everybody say perfect. perfect. Everybody say perfect. perfect. Much better. <laughs> so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Now listen, in most church settings that I've been a part of, you begin to preach about perfection, perfect, you get lots of people really fired up. They think you're talking about perfect performance. That's not what we're talking about at all. In fact, Jesus said in the Sermon on, on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, these words. Let's go to 548. Can we do that? Thank you. Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, you're thinking, oh, wait a minute. Our Father in heaven it does, never makes a mistake. He never does anything wrong. Never has a bad day. Never slips up. But if you look at the context of what he's talking about there, he's talking about being perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect in the matter of love. Love. Just before that, Jesus says he loves the just and the unjust. He sends rain on the righteous and on the evil. God is not a respecter of persons. He loves everybody, and he wants us to be perfect like that, to have perfect love. In fact, over in Matthew chapter 22, Verses 37 through 40, Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. What's the greatest commandment? And he answers this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Listen, if we are going to really accomplish the motive that God has for us to present everyone perfect in Christ, we've got to love them as God loves them. And that doesn't just happen by accident. In fact, it doesn't even happen when I'm born again, when I'm saved. Because when I'm saved, there's still an issue in my heart, a sinful nature that is still wanting its own way, still thinks I'm better than everybody else. That's the way it happens. So what do I need? I need the power of God by his Holy Spirit to do a work in me that gives me the kind of love that he has, that can love them like he loves them, that can love them like I love myself. That's an amazing picture. And so this whole concept of what is our motive, it is so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. The best way I can illustrate this whole idea of perfection is this. We are blessed right now to have our grandkids back from China. They've been now here in Cheyenne for two months, still seeking the Lord's direction for their next base of ministry. 
But whenever we see them, we get loved on by them, which is a wonderful thing because we haven't been able to be loved on by them very much over the last eight years. And occasionally, one of them will draw us a picture. Man, are they awful artists. <laughs> I'm glad they're not in this service right now. They're, I mean, you look at the picture and you're thinking, what in the world is this? And so trying to be a good grandparent, I say, wow, <laughs> Tell me about this, you know, <laughs> and they'll proceed to tell me. Now, listen, do I look at that little grandchild, Noah or Anna in particular, and say, man, this is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. What do you think you're doing, you know? No, I love them. Why? Because that love came from a perfect heart for me, right? They love me. They love me unconditionally. And their performance wasn't perfect. Well, it was perfect for a three-year-old and a four-year-old maybe. Their performance wasn't perfect, but the love that it produced, it was. It was a love for me. That's what I'm talking about. Only the Lord by His Spirit can enable us to have love that loves others the way we ought to love them. If you're here this morning and, and you're struggling with loving others, Begin to seek the Lord, to ask, ask him, Lord, I need you to cleanse my heart of that within me that causes me to be selfish and out of place and seeking my own good. Lord, help me to seek the good of others. Help me to seek what's best for them. Put myself second. Why do we need God's power? Because of our message, we proclaim him, Jesus. Because of our method, admonishing and teaching. Because of our motive, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. And there's a fourth thing. It's the very last phrase. To this end, Paul says, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. There are two things that we need to see here. This is our means, because of our means. What gives us the ability to do it? Well, we know it's his power. But Paul begins by saying this, to this end, I labor. Now, if that's where the verse ended, it could be quite frustrating. I'd been in ministry long enough to know that in the energy of the flesh, trying to accomplish the plan of God, you can really get worn down, really get burned out, really get stressed out. And so I found myself at times trying to accomplish God's plan in my own strength. And I was working hard. I was putting in the hours. I was doing the work. You know, I, and what I really needed to do was to get along with God and allow him to put his spirit in me so that I could do the power, do the, the work I needed to do under his energy. So Paul says, to this end I labor. So what he's saying is this. There's no excuse for us to be lazy in doing the plan of God. We've got our part to do. We have our, our role to play. We give ourselves to it. But where does the real victory come from? Struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Listen, before I got up here to preach this morning, one of the men of the church just came over, just looked over to me and said this. He said, I believe the Lord wants you to know he's with you today. Man, did I need to hear that. I needed to hear that. Why? Because you see, I can prepare and I can stand up here and preach and try to make funny jokes and do all kinds of stuff. I, I can do all of that. But if his power isn't here, 
It's just a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. It's just nothing. It's just a speech. Amen? But knowing that he is with me, wow, then I can do my best. I can preach. I can admonish. I can teach. And I know that the power of God is here by his Holy Spirit to take the truth, apply it to your hearts, and enable you to walk in the light. Praise the name of the Lord. Wow. God's program, God's plan needs God's power. Why do we need God's power? Because of our message, it's Jesus. It always will be Jesus. Because of our method, admonishing and teaching. Because of our motive, so that we can present everyone perfect in Christ. Because of our means, we labor His energy. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, I pray today that we would afresh and anew trust you, your power, to enable us to do what you've called us to do. Lord, I pray that first of all for Element Church. This is your church, Lord. We proclaim Jesus. We admonish and we teach. We want to present everyone perfect in Christ. And Lord, we're working at it. There are those who work so diligently at it, Sunday after Sunday, week after week. We thank you for them. But Lord, I pray that it'll be more than just our energy, but it'll be your power is at work within us. We pray that for this church. I pray that, Lord, for individuals that are listening to this message today. Some who are believers who may have gotten bogged down a little bit in trying to do it all in their own strength. Lord, help them to look to you, to rely upon you. And then, Lord, any of us that are here today that need to surrender ourselves completely, to say a total, ultimate yes to you, not just forgiveness of sins, but we want the filling of your spirit in our lives. We want that old nature of sin to be dealt with so that we can have a pure heart loving others like you love them. And so, Lord, for the truth that you've, you've given us today, for the things that you've helped me to see today, I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you.